Well, brethren, if you'd turn in your Bibles, we're going we're gonna to jump out of Galatians this week, and, and not even into Mark, but if you jump into 1 Timothy, Paul's one of Paul's pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy chapter 3. As we announced during our week of prayer and fasting, we believe it's time for, for us as a church to recognize and appoint deacons, more deacons, to serve and minister to the body here at Grace. And uh, in the last year, you know, some of you are aware, we've, we've lost two deacons, and now it seems a, a fitting time for us to replace them as the level of newcomers and, and uh, needs have not exactly diminished um, among us. And so us elders felt it was important to bring at least one message on, on the subject of deacons before we ask the church, you brethren, to look out among you and give us thoughtful, prayerful feedback on whom you observe and recognize in this assembly as being qualified and fit to serve this body in the capacity of what the Bible calls a deacon. And before we even get going here, and I read this text, how many of you do not know who the deacons in the church are? So we have a member who doesn't know. <laughs> All right, I don't want to put I don't want to put you guys on the spot, but you're worthy of some recognition. So if you, if brothers, if you would stand up, and I know Ken's not here. One of our deacons runs the camera, Ken Giles, and another one. One of we have four deacons: Matthew McDonald standing up in the back, Scott Haney standing right here, and Carlos Munoz. And these brothers have served the church for over a decade now, you know, very faithfully. And I'm, I'm very thankful for you brothers and your faithfulness and all that you do behind the scenes. I mean, in fact, so much behind the scenes, we got people that weren't even aware they were deacons. <laughs> you know you're serving well when that's the case, right? And uh, not doing it in the limelight. And uh, I'm very thankful for these brothers um, and their commitment to the church and all that they've done to, for this body so let's read here, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And you know what? Just like you, they could, they're in need of encouragement from time to time, and so expressing your appreciation for them, uh, I'm sure that would be a great means of encouragement to them. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so let's pray. Yes, Father, we are very thankful um, to have the deacons You've given us. And Lord, I thank You that You've raised up, I believe, men in this church to, to join them in serving in this most uh, incredible privilege of serving the Lord Jesus Christ and His body. And so, Father, I pray You'd help us now and 
Help us to understand uh, this office of a deacon. Help us to, uh, Lord, give us eyes. We pray that you would enable your people by your Spirit. Lord, you know who you're raising up in this hour and for this purpose. And so, Lord, we pray that you would collectively help us to recognize and acknowledge that. And, Lord, bless this time and this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. So, it is, it is impossible, really, to exhaustively speak on this subject in one message, but I'm going to attempt to do it. <laughs> uh, the goal here today is just to simply inform you, biblically inform you, as to what a deacon is and what a deacon is not. And if you have any un- unanswered questions, brethren, please, please do not hesitate to ask myself or James or Jeff or even one of the deacons. And we gladly seek to answer those questions as we, as we ask you, brethren, to look out among you. And uh, the last thing we want to do is, is when we're asking you to look out among you is you be confused as to what you're even looking out for, right? So that's the goal of this message. And I'm going to seek to tackle this thing with four simple headings. Uh, and then afterwards, I'll just briefly discuss how we're going to move forward as a church. And again, if you have any questions, please seek to get those questions answered. You can call, you can text, you can all the various avenues of reaching out. And uh, yeah, bear with me. This message might be a little longer than, well, it will be a little bit longer than I normally go. This is a very important subject matter. And somebody told me, as long as you give me a heads up, it's going to be longer, I'm good. <laughs> so, so there's your heads up. I think we'll be done by 3.30. I'm, I'm pretty sure that'll be the case. No, not quite. So our four simple headings. What deacons are not, what deacons are, what a deacon must be, and what deacons do. Can't much, get much simpler than that, right? Number one, what deacons are not. And in these first two points, the third point we'll get into the text. But point number one, what deacons are not. And these are nots are, are quick bullet points here. This first one's probably the shortest. But I didn't create these out of, out of a vacuum. They're actually, these are actually common, misconceived ideas of what makes for a deacon. In fact, as I mention them, there's likely going to be some of you sitting there and thinking, oh, I actually thought that's what a deacon was. Or you may sit there thinking, yeah, I remember that when I was the church I was in when I was a child or the church I just left. Or... Brethren, traditions are powerful. But sadly, most traditions are not biblical. Number one, deacons are not the church's groundskeeper. Now, they might serve the church as such, in such a capacity, but that's not what makes a man a deacon or even falls under the category of a deacon's biblical purpose. Number two, they're not the church's handymen. I was reading a a book that Aaron let me borrow on deacons, and this guy uses a fictitious character named Toolbox Terrence. And you know, the guy, everyone who turns to, who needs something fixed, and he's got all the tools, he's got all the skills, um, praise God, thank God that he typically gives that to churches, and uh, you know, he's the go-to guy if you need something fixed. And, but that's not, brethren, that's not what makes a deacon. And that, that is really a, a most probably errant tradition behind the diaconate. And I, I use the term the diaconate, it's the office of a deacon. Thirdly, they're not financial advisors or wizards of the spreadsheet. 
That same book uses the fictitious character uh, spread, Spreadsheet Sam as the financial guy of the church. You know, therefore being a shoo-in as a deacon. No. Fourthly, they're not business executives. You know, the guy who's proven himself out in the world to be quite successful. He's climbed the corporate ladder. and Therefore, he must be a, a ready-made deacon in the church. No. Number five, they're not the governing board of the church. Where nothing gets done in the church without the consent of the deacons. Uh, and, you know, they appoint, they govern, they essentially rule. That's not a deacon, not according to Scripture. But sadly, that is a common practice in some circles that has wrought much confusion in the realm of distinction between the roles of an elder and a deacon. Um, I've never been part of such a church, but they're they're out there. Uh, Sixthly, and lastly, being a deacon is not a stepping stone to the pastorate. Um, Deacons are not pastors in training. Uh, that's also a common misconception in some circles. Uh, I mean, all you have to do is, is compare the two lists of qualifications here in, in, in Timothy, and you will see that deacons are not required to possess any gift of teaching or preaching. An, an elder must possess both the ability to teach sound doctrine and defend the church against those who would seek to contradict that sound doctrine. Such gifting is not a qualifying factor for one being considered to serve as a deacon. Now, those are just some, some brief examples uh, of what gets regarded as a deacon in our day and, and a deacon's role in various church settings. Um, I mean, there's, there's countless unbiblical ideas and practices that have developed over time and have sort of kind of rooted themselves in, into unquestionable traditions uh, in our modern day. However, we're desiring to understand and implement what the Bible actually teaches us regarding deacons. And let me say just for the sake of clarity, a deacon may be someone who is good at and loves to work outdoors and is quite the green thumb or a groundskeeper. I mean, he might be a gifted fixer-upper, a jack-of-all-trades, so to speak, a toolbox-terrence kind of guy. He might be a financial guru. He might be like a Dave Ramsey kind of guy. He might be the CEO of his own company that he works for. He might possess gifts that actually potentially will make him an elder someday. But none of those things are what make men deacons. And none of those things are necessarily, they necessarily translate into the functional role such men will serve as they perform their duties as a deacon in the church. In other words, Green Thumb Gary might own a tree farm, or he might own a nursery or a lawn service, and he might be a biblically qualified deacon and serve in the church as a deacon, but not have anything to do with the church's groundkeeping. Now, it's very likely he would serve in that capacity, but that's not what makes him a deacon, you see. And that would not necessarily be the functional role as a deacon. And it's important we understand that. It might be that if he has skills in this world that make him a successful CPA and accountant, that such, such a man becomes a deacon in the church. It, would, it might just be the wise thing to do as a, as a church body to recognize his, his skill set. And, and you know, he's already passed the qualifications for being a deacon and taking advantage of that skill set and putting him over uh, the money 
in the church, at least overseeing the money, keeping an eye on things. But having a career as such does not necessitate that he serve the church in that capacity. Most certainly does not necessitate him being a deacon. That's the main point I'm driving at here. Thankfully, we've been blessed with cash flow Carlos here. And uh, as one of our deacons who who has faithfully handled the finances of the church, I mean, way back, this guy's how long? Almost since the beginning, right? Yeah. 18, 19 years, faithfully serving in that capacity. So, So I don't want you to misunderstand me when I say deacons are not the things I just said they're not. I list those examples because in many circles, those specific examples, uh, specific skill sets or, or careers, uh, career experiences often constitute in and of themselves the makings of a deacon. And that is just simply unbiblical. Uh, a guy might know how to balance a spreadsheet, but that doesn't mean he knows how to deal with people. And, and dealing with people is a primary role as a deacon. And then we'll get into that in point three. But, but the essential matter, we get into point three, is man's character, his spiritual life. In fact, in my study on the subject, I, it was interesting, both in reading and messages I heard, there was one common thread that kind of underscored uh, the diaconate. And it, it, it was, as the deacons go, so goes the health of the church. Wow. So, so we're not talking about some optional accessory we can just kind of take on and off the church. It may or may not be vital to the church's life. No, deacons are very, very important to the life of the church. So their spiritual lives matter. Okay, so that's point one. Point two, what deacons are. The word deacon actually shows up in our... It, doesn't, the, 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 it only shows up in the plural. It's not singular in in our ESVs. It shows up as deacons. And there's not an overwhelming amount of appearances of this word deacons in our Bible. In fact, it only shows up five times. However, the word deacon is the Greek word diakonos. That's the noun form of the word. It shows up 29 times. The verb diakoneo which is, shows up 37 times in the New Testament, most often is translated serve or servant or minister, ministering, in all those different parts of speech. My Mount's Greek lexicon says, one who renders service to another, an attendant or servant. That's the most basic definition of a deacon, a servant. And it's further de- de- defined to minister, to relieve, to assist, or supply. And here's just a handful of some other passages of scripture that 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 this is the, keep in mind it's the exact same Greek word but it's translated servant in our Bible and it's translated minister or ministering. Matthew 20:28 20, Even as the son of man came not to be served or deaconed but to serve or deacon and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark 1.13, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals. The angels were ministering or deaconing to him. Mark 9.35, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and deacon of all. 
Luke 22.27, Jesus speaking, For who is the greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who deacons? It is not the one who reclines at table, but I am among you as one who deacons. Colossians 1.7, Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister or deacon of Christ on your behalf. John 12.26, if anyone serves me or deacons me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my deacon be also. If anyone deacons me, the Father will honor him. So in one sense, every follower of Jesus Christ is a deacon of Christ. That is, they are servants of Jesus. They are those who seek to minister or deacon His love and compassion and truth to others. And incidentally, this is one reason, for those of you who might be thinking about women deacons, this is one reason why I think the suggestion by some that Phoebe in in Romans 16 uh, the suggestion that she served as a deacon in the church, I, I, I don't think that carries any weight. Uh, simply because Paul uses this exact same word translated deacon uh, in so many other places. It, it stands for just a standard, typical Christian servant. And uh, no doubt that's fed into a lot of ambiguity and confusion concerning the subject of deacons. And it's not that clear cut, I'll admit that. Um, but we all, what we all have to come to grips with is, is that Greek word is used far more times simply to define Christian servants of God than it's used to define the office of deacon. And this very same term gets actually in Romans, that very same term gets used to describe Jesus and governing authorities in Paul's letter. And, and so, so assu- assuming it suddenly is being applied to a church office in a very lengthy letter where deacon... Deacons as officers are not mentioned anywhere else in Romans. I think it's a big-time stretch in my imagination, in my estimation, rather. But, um, but this, this text we just read, brethren, seals it for me. Contextually, uh, the specifics here and what qualifies one as a deacon makes it rather clear to me uh, that Paul nor anyone else in Scripture has, has women in mind for, as far as deacons are concerned. That's, that's my present light. There are good brothers that disagree. Um, but 1 Timothy 3 also, also makes clear a development of this term in the New Testament era. This term being used not only to describe those who serve the Lord, but also used to identify those appointed to a designated office of serving or deaconing within the church. In fact, we don't find, the fact we don't have, find a whole lot of ink given to the subject of deacons in our Bibles, that does not indicate a lack of importance of this, this office. Listen, there are only two offices that God has given the church in the, in the New Covenant. Only two. Pastors, also referred to as overseers, elders, shepherds, and deacons, pastors and deacons. Deacons and deacons here as it's presented by Paul in 1 Timothy 3, he's speaking of a designated role, an office if you will. Just notice the language here. Verse 10, let them serve as deacons. Verse 13, those who serve well as deacons. It's clear that Paul is making a distinction here, providing Timothy instruction on designating certain men, not everyone, to this specific 
role. Uh, this is a divinely appointed role or office, if you will. In fact, the, the very fact that diaconal service is made an office by God, that alone makes it a significant matter for you and I as a church to, to concern ourselves with. And uh, this, is an, this is, like I said, this is an office that's not, it's not unimportant. It's, it holds sway and impact on the spiritual health of the church. And uh, we see this recognized status. The use of it is only here and in one other letter in Philippians. In Philippians 1.1, he says, Paul, he opens the letter and says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. And so Paul's addressing the whole church and he calls them all the saints and then makes this distinction amongst them of overseers and deacons. These are men who were at Philippi that bore the office of pastor and deacon and were recognized as such by Paul and by the church. Now, the question arises, why doesn't Paul address deacons in the rest of his letters to the churches? It's a good question. We don't know for certain, but I think it happens to be an, an insightful question. Because most of the chronological timelines that, that I've seen on when New Testament books or letters were written, most of them have the Philippian letter as the last church-specific letter that Paul wrote. Meaning all the other church letters that Paul wrote preceded what Paul, when Paul wrote to Philippi. If that is so, it would make sense as to why Paul never addressed deacons specifically in his opening greetings to other churches. I contend that that is because the term deacon developed over time into this official office of deacon. Paul's letters to Timothy, we know, very commonly known, that those were his last letters. That and Titus, the last letters that he wrote. And that is the only place we find qualifications for deacons being mentioned. And I believe also noteworthy is, is, is most scholars believe the book of Acts was written before Philippians and 1 Timothy. And you'll see why when we get there. However, 1 Timothy 3 is by far, even though Philippians does make reference to it, 1 Timothy 3 is by far the clearest expression of a designated role um, recognized by the church in the New Testament and what makes for the qualifications of being appointed to such a position. Yes, outside of, outside of Acts 6, which we'll look at under point 4, that's really all the Bible has to say about on the subject of deacons. Okay, so that's, my, that's point 2. Point 3 what a deacon must be. Um, so I got nine B's that we're going to look at here. And this is, I get this from the list of the, from the verses we just read. And this is, this is not a general categorical description of a Christian. Yes, all Christians should be this. No doubt about that. But if you're going to be a deacon in the church, you must be this. Paul just finishes providing 
qualifications for being an overseer in the church or a pastor in verse first seven verses. And now he moves on to discuss the qualifications for being a deacon in verses 8 through 13. This is what a deacon must be in order to serve as an official deacon in the church body. Notice the language used throughout the paragraph. The, the verb be stands out to me. Verse 8, deacons likewise must be. Verse 10, let them also be. Verse 11, their wives likewise must be. Verse 12, let deacons each be. That is, this descriptive list of qualifications must be a present reality in the life of a deacon candidate and a deacon. In Paul's mind, inspired by the Spirit, qualifications for being a deacon have nothing to do with one skill set. Nothing. Brethren, etch this in your minds when it comes to the subject of deacons. God is far, far, far more concerned about a man's character than He is His gifting. And that's also true with regards to, to eldership. However, you know, the ability to teach and preach and handle God's Word is, is, is paramount in a distinction there. But, but when it comes to church officers, Scripture is primarily concerned about a man's character. With him being or not being something in a certain way. It focuses on the individual's conduct and their life. Okay, so B number one. B number one, verse eight, they must be dignified. Qualification number one, they must be dignified. That is someone worthy of respect. Someone who is honorable in their conduct towards others. Someone who, someone who exhibits humility and self-control. Not someone who's perfect, but you know, someone who, who carries a, a measure of gravity about them, seriousness about their about spiritual matters. Not a class clown. Not, 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 I'm not suggesting that, that deacons can't have a sense of humor. That's, that's not it at all. But, but their life exhibits Christ-like behavior, character. There's a measure of holiness about them that depicts, uh, depicts them being more Christ-like than world-like. You, you see that. It jumps out. And the following B's actually give shape to what it means to be dignified. So, so let's move on to B number two. They must not be double tongued that is a, a deacon must not be one who speaks out of both sides of his mouth he's not a flatterer he's not a slanderer with his tongue saying one thing to this person and then something different to the other person you know when he, when a deacon speaks his word is reliable it's trustworthy he's a man uh, who speaks truth a man who keeps his word. His yes means yes, and his no means no. He's not a man who says one thing and does another. Or, or says, says one thing to, to, to someone's face, and then behind their back says something else. No. This is a man who, this is a man who uses his tongue with integrity. And that's very important, brethren, because deacons get engaged in many conversations. As we heard there last week from our brother James in, in Titus 2, Paul instructs T Titus to possess what? Sound speech that cannot be condemned. That's a necessary component in being a deacon. 
Okay, B number three. B number three. They must not be addicted to much wine. Now this one's somewhat self-explanatory. Um, obviously, this would preclude a man who gets drunk. Uh, scripture has plenty to say about that. Do not get drunk with wine. Why? For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, Scripture says. I mean, it ought to be very clear to us that, that any kind of substance that impairs one's judgment is not the kind of thing that God would have His people given over to, especially one who is being set apart to serve the church in any official capacity. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that the Bible forbids alcoholic beverages, period. I think you argue in vain to make that argument. In fact, the very qualification itself uses the adjective addicted, right? And the phrase much wine. So we want to be very careful about making dogmatic statements about alcohol here. But at the same time, clearly, brethren, a candidate for the diaconate should not be one who's associated with or holds any kind of reputation for his drinking. I mean, we had a guy, I remember we had a guy in the church, he'd come over to his house and you know, he, he, took, you know, he let everybody know about his liberties and setting out wine. And That guy's not fit to be a deacon. It's not. But I, I, think, I think we want to think beyond the obvious in, in this qualification because someone given to any kind of addictive behavior is someone who lacks self-control, Right? I mean, whether it be drink or food or, or anything, self-control is a necessary virtue and fruit of the Spirit in the life of a Christian, but especially for someone who's going to serve the church as a deacon. So, so, so what qualifies a man as being a deacon? Well, he must be dignified with his tongue and he must be dignified with regards to his appetites. All right, B number four. They must not be greedy for dishonest gain. And this is a very important characteristic for deacons because deacons can be very much involved in the finances of the church. I was listening to a brother preaching on this and apparently at one point in their church they had a deacon and over the course of time he stole a quarter of a million dollars from the church. A deacon must be an honest man who handles money well and is not a covetous person. He must be dignified with his use of money. Not one who's prone to making bad choice after bad choice with his money, with his income. I mean, you know, if you know a brother who struggles with finances, and some do. I mean, just face it, some do. And you detect a measure of worldliness, perhaps there's even a, they emit some kind of aroma of of just being materialistic. And, and that's not someone who needs to be subjected to the temptation of easy access to money. And I'll just be frank with you. I mean, whoever, whoever ends up being set before us, I hope this isn't intimidating, but I will purposely be looking in to see how they use their money. I will, because I believe, I believe the window into somebody's wallet is a window into their heart. I mean, a person could be a really nice brother, great brother, love to hang around him. I mean, he's kind to everyone. He's considerate. He's thoughtful. Be very involved in all kinds of things in the church. But if his wallet does not reflect the love that extends beyond himself, he's not fit to be a deacon. B number five, verse nine. They must be one who holds the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. 
I mean, this, this, a deacon needs to be a man that knows the gospel. Yes, they serve to meet physical needs in the church. We'll get to that. But, but oftentimes, brethren, that, that, that includes or results in the need for the person they're ministering to for some spiritual encouragement or instruction. They don't need to know their Bibles quite like a pastor needs to know his Bible, but they need to know their Bibles. And they need to be able to articulate the gospel clearly and, and, and gospel-related truths to people, particularly those whom they're seeking to minister aid to. Um, yeah, I mean, a deacon, a deacon can be met with so many different situations that are presented, and, and they have an opportunity to speak into someone's life. Perhaps the only, only encounter that person might have with, with gospel witness with with truth in the midst of their crisis and need and uh, sometimes it's very difficult situations they get put into where they where they just stand in absolute need of God's wisdom and and the wisdom that comes only from his word so they got to be a man who knows God's word a deacon essentially has his life needs to match his profession uh, he has to Paul talks about clear conscience here He's the type of man that makes, makes pains to have a clear conscience between God and man. I like how one brother put it. He, he must know the faith, hold the faith, and live the faith. A deacon is, is a man who is held in high esteem. Should be. And he is so because he not only knows what the book, this book teaches, he actually lives it out in his life. And so that moves on to... B number six. B number six. They must be tested and proven blameless. Deacons must be tested men, proven men, not novices. Well, how long, you say? How, how long is, is an adequate amount of time for testing them? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us. We, we really don't have that. Um, Certainly it wouldn't be a man who's still experiencing the honeymoon season of his conversion, right? It would be those who have proven to hold up through trial and hardship. Those whom the church has been able to witness demonstrating some measure of proven character and commitment to the church. This is important because I mean Scripture tells us, right? You, you get those who believe, and they're, they're like the ones, that, like the seed that gets cast into the rocky ground. It springs up. Oh, they make a great splash when they enter into the church. All kinds of excitement. They have such impact. They have a magnetic, per, magnetic personality, and wow, it's just fireworks. And before you know it, suddenly, boom, you find out there's no root. We, we've seen that, haven't we? No root. No depth of root. And so on that note, brethren, yes, there's no inspired timeline. This is some, something the Lord intends, I think, for the church to, to wrestle with and navigate and discern themselves. And, uh, but, but we as, as elders would ask that you would only consider men here that have been committed members of this church for at least two years. We feel that that provides a, a decent minimal time frame of provenness. Now, not proven to be perfect. None of us here are perfect, but, but blameless. That is, there's nothing about their life that stands out as blameworthy. You can't, you can't pin anything on there. There's no, there's no stain or blot or charge of immorality or reproach that would mark them as not living worthy of the gospel or, or not being an example to follow, to imitate. 
All right, B number seven, verse 11. Their wives must be dignified, not slanders, sober-minded and faithful. Now, this one tends to raise the eyebrow. <laughs> one reason being is this. Why is, why is this a, a deacon qualification and it's not an elder qualification? And some folks do use this to fortify their, their woman deacon argument. Well, this, this qualifi- qualification makes sense to me. And, uh, and you deacon wives, feel free to issue a hearty amen if you, <laughs> you feel free to do that. Preachers, preachers are encouraged by such affirmations. But, but a deacon, you see, is going to be exposed to many situations that encourage the involvement and contribution, even perhaps the counsel of their wives, especially uh, when it involves delicate situations like a single mother, a widow. Uh, you run into those kind of things when you're trying to deal with the poor. Um, but, and let's just face it, brethren. I mean, <laughs> yes, there are exceptions, but women tend to specialize in tender-hearted mercy more so than men. Right? I mean, that's, that's exactly why when you got in trouble when you were little, you ran to mom and not dad. Right? I mean, all of us did. I know there are exceptions, but I think it's pretty clear. But deacons get exposed to some very personal, practical problems in people's lives. Problems that their wives get exposed to. And so it's important that their wives not be slanders that they be sober-minded and that they be faithful women. I do think this also should be true of elders' wives, but I don't think Paul goes there as an elder qualification because an elder's wife is not going to be exposed to the same type of involvement as her, in her husband's shepherding ministry. Um, in fact, there's a lot of things that I don't share with my wife uh, when it comes to shepherding this church. Now, I will bounce things off her from time to time to get her perspective and her thoughts and as an attempt to help me think through things more clearly. Um, But for the most part, she's not privy to a lot of what goes behind the scenes here, uh, and rightly so. Not because I don't trust her, um, simply because it's not necessary for her to know and not helpful at times for her to even know. Um, That's not to say an elder's wife cannot or will not be involved in shepherding situations, providing some counsel. There have been times I've asked my wife to come with me in counseling situations where I thought her presence and her, her, her input would prove to be helpful. Um, yes, we elders are very much interested in, in seeking the good of the body in whatever ways we can. In fact, there are, there are and if we're gonna use, we can use our wives to that end, we will, but there are times I've called upon some of you sisters in this church to go after another sister who's struggling or or to use you in, in their life in a way I think that you could be impactful uh, for various reasons. But, but getting back to the point here, the, the wife of a deacon is going to be subject to the, to the mercy ministry opportunities that the Lord is pleased to drop in her husband's lap. So she needs to be able to support that. And they can come in floods and waves and it's going to disrupt the family. She needs to be able to support that and possess... Uh, these qualities Paul lists here of being a dignified woman. And a quick side note, it, I mean, if indeed this were referring to women deacons, this is an awfully short qualification list for the women. 
Just saying. But moving on from this must-be point, if you have a brother in mind right now who meets all these other qualifications, but you know his wife is a gossip, that man is not qualified to be a deacon. That's what Paul is saying here. B number 8. Verse 12, they must be the husband of one wife. And this is not referring to a man who's been divorced. I'm not convinced of that at all. Um, we have to remember Paul is, is who Paul's speaking to in his original audience here. He's speaking to a man, Timothy, who is seeking to minister to this church in Ephesus that has many Gentiles in the congregation. And it was not uncommon in that day for Gentiles to have multiple wives. It wasn't uncommon at all. But we certainly don't want to think Paul is, on the flip side, we certainly don't want to think Paul is suggesting you have to be married in order to be a deacon either, right? I think such a conclusion misses Paul's point here. The reality is most men are married, and the ones that are, their marriage relationship is a major proving ground for their qualification. But let's just suppose we're talking about somebody who's not married. I think this point still has application for such an individual. How does he relate with women? Right? How does he interact with women? I mean, how does he carry himself? I mean, does he dress in such a way where he's trying to draw attention to himself? Is he, is he coming in the assembly with you know, three or four buttons down, you know, that kind of look? And, um, you know, it's, is this a guy who, who's, who, unfortunately, I've seen this guy sits in the church and he, he stares down women? He can't control his eyes. I would hope these are obvious dead giveaways that such a man's not deacon material. But, but listen, if you know a brother who constantly is struggling with lust in his heart, independent of how many other great qualities he might possess, he's not ready to be entrusted to the office of a deacon. But as it pertains to marriage, I, I believe the point uh, is that consideration should only be made for men who have proven to be a one-woman man. A man who has proven faithful commitment and love for his wife and her alone. It's not a man who has a reputation as a Christian of falling into sin with other women or even being a flirt. No, this is a man whose heart is given to his wife. And you see that. And you know that. How, how does he treat his wife? I mean, that's the ultimate training ground of, of proving if they're fit for serving in this capacity. And what does the wife think of him, of her husband? Alright, the final B here. B number nine. They must manage their households well. How is the man's home life? Does this brother manage his house well? Are his children in subjection to him? When he addresses them, do they hear him and, and respond accordingly? Or are they bouncing off the walls and tone deaf of dad, just rebellious towards his authority? And, and Meanwhile, mom's running around like a chicken with her head cut off, all frazzled and exasperated because the children are unruly. I mean, when you walk into the home, do you, do you feel a measure of peace about it? Or is the place filled with tension? What does the wife say about his leadership in the home? 
And brethren, as I go over these points, I mean, our expectation is you're going to be, you're going to take it upon yourself to make these kinds of assessments and, and ask these kinds of questions uh, to whom you perceive to possess such qualifications and deem worthy as candidates for such a privileged office in the church. And this is something we want the church to be engaged in and be talking about over the next couple of weeks. Well, those are the B's. Verse 13, um, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to say much here, but only to point out what precious promises these are for those who are not laboring in the limelight, but most often in the shadows, where it can get draining and discouraging. Paul gives these brothers two encouraging promises here. Good standing and great confidence. I mean, being, being made a, an officer in the church is no light matter, it's, it, and it's not for the weak in heart. It certainly has its challenges and demands, but also uh, what comes with it is tremendous privilege and honor and blessing. In fact, it comes with good standing, Paul says. It, it certainly expands one, the, the footprint of one's influence in the church. I mean, the deacons in this church have influence in this church because, because, of, the, because of their office. They do. You serve well, Paul, that's the promise. You serve well, it's going to put you in the place of good standing. You're, you're, going, to, you're going to have increased respect by the church. That's what Paul is saying here. But also great confidence. And this just strikes me as a great appeal for prayer or, or a means, a motivator for persistence in prayer. Lord, let me see and know in greater fashion this great confidence that You're promising as I seek to, to, to serve well and be a faithful deacon. And perhaps, Paul is, perhaps Paul is referring to seeing God's powerful hand work spiritually in the life I'm seeking to minister to physically. I don't know, but it is the promise. Now, Paul does not list specifics on how deacons are to function, only the means of their qualification here in 1 Timothy 3. However, Scripture is not silent on this matter. Granted, we have limited details in Scripture on, on the specific function of a deacon, but I'm fully persuaded the Lord does provide the primary purpose behind the office of deacon in the book of Acts. So if you turn to Acts chapter 6, this will be, we'll close on this fourth point here. What a deacon must do. The doing of a deacon. Acts 6, verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenius and Nicholas. Write those names down, ladies, for babies. A proselyte of Antioch. These they sat before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. 
So the Lord, the Lord bursts the church, he births the church age in the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, saving thousands of souls. And the Lord just continues to pour out his spirit and blessing upon that early church, experiencing uh, God adding daily to the church. And then suddenly, suddenly, that became the good old days. A conflict arises. A conflict ensues between these Hellenists, which would be the Greek-cultured, Greek-speaking Jews, and your good old Palestinian Hebrew Jews. Favoritism was happening. Imagine that, right? Hebrew widows were getting their needs met while the Hellenist widows were not. At least that's the accusation. Human beings were being partial to their own groups, and it's been a human plague ever since the garden. And so the Holy Spirit captures for us this this early church conflict in the beginning of Acts 6, and through it, I'm convinced, teaches us the importance of the role of deacons, while also teaching us the importance and value of the ministry of the Word and prayer. Clearly, some things had gotten out of hand and beyond the control and supervision of the apostles. And the needs were such they were just simply not able to handle it all, manage it all. I mean, Moses experienced the same thing, right? But, but here we have thousands of people and you just got 12 guys. And we just got, you know, a couple hundred people. Imagine that. Thousands of people, 12 men. 12 guys seeking to do what they understood to be the priority of their calling in the church. The spiritual welfare of the flock. We're not told this, but I'm, I'm assuming they prayed. And, and you know what they determined? <laughs> we need help. And, and they, saw the, they saw the conflict that this posed on the unity of the church. I mean, this was a threat toward the church's unity. But they also saw that this is going to potentially pull, away, pull them away from the ministry of the Word and prayer. And so they resolved, we need some men to help us. So they turned to the church and said, Brethren, look out among you. Find men full of the Holy Spirit of good reputation and wisdom. And we're going to point these guys to serve the church and handle this matter. Brethren, as I read these passages, these verses, I see three things that stand out. Three ways in which these men were used to serve the church. And yes, I'm fully persuaded, as I said, these seven men became a prototype of what later became the office of deacon. Of course, the word deacon is not being, does not show up in this text. As I mentioned earlier, that term does not get officially associated with the office until Paul's later letters, one of which we read. However, this text provides us in very basic rudimentary elements of a deacon's role or function in the church. These seven men provided the church at least these three things. One, they served as assistants to the apostles. Two, they addressed and facilitated a ministry of mercy. And three, they promoted the overall unity of the church. I suppose I could say the first two served to accomplish the third. Or I suppose you could say their serving as assistants to the apostles resulted in the other two things being accomplished. Either way, I believe those three things truly underscore the most basic purpose and functional role of a deacon to assist the elders to manage mercy ministries and to promote unity in the church. Promote and protect unity in the church. 
And we're just going to quickly touch on these. What deacons do. They, they assist the elders. It's, it's right there in the text. Verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The apostles, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem are appealing to the church members to provide them assistance. Spirit-filled men to aid them in their work of the ministry. And by the way, notice, notice the laying on of hands in verse 6. There, there was more going on here than just mere table service. There was an, this was an appointed position. There's an ordination service, if you will. There was, a, there was an acknowledgement of these men, a laying on of hands, a, a, an appeal. A, an appeal that in the laying on of hands is a, it, it's signifying an appeal to God and a recognition before God of these men to serve in this capacity. What was their service? Aiding the apostles. Providing the church and the world a more complete representation of Jesus Christ. Essentially, that's what's happening here. The apostles were Jesus' words. And these seven men became Jesus' feet and hands. You try to do ministry without both, you have an incomplete Christ. Because Jesus was all about both tangible benevolence and spiritual nourishment. Word and deed, together, inseparable. And there's so much more that could be said in this first purpose, but in fact, as I was studying this out, uh, personally, I felt I've, I've failed in, in seeking to more utilize our deacons. Um, even though as I say that, I mean, I realize we have we have men here who don't have a bunch of time on their hands working full time. We've got three, three of the four have, have families that are in those demanding years of, of needs and growth. And so I mean, it just underscores our need for more deacons. Um, Alexander Strauch on this point, the, the specific tasks of a deacon are to be determined by the elders in accordance with the church's particular needs, size, and giftedness of its members. Certainly elders need continuous help with official he follows, there's a big list of things he follows with hospital visits, phone calls, checking on absentees, managing charitable gifts, distributing aid to the needy, assisting families with finances, overseeing the church's property, carrying out certain administrative tasks. In a large church, different deacons may be assigned different areas of responsibility based on their spiritual giftedness and interests. Matt Smethers says, a church without biblically functioning deacons will be perpetually distracted from its central mission of making disciples. Quoting Matthew 28. Amen. Well, secondly, what deacons do, they're agents of mercy ministries. And there's no question that the precedent set forth here in Acts 6 has established a primary role of deacons throughout church history of being those given to mercy ministry. And in doing so, they serve the church as an extension of Christ's merciful love to those in need and help keep the ministry of the Word and prayer the priority that it needs to be in the church. Their service also includes caring for the poor and needy in general. Right? I mean, throughout Scripture, God is constantly concerned about that. We see from the opening pages to the end. That's a concern of the Lord's. But especially, tapping into last week's message, especially caring for the needs within the household of faith. That is, they, they see to it that various and sundry needs in the church 
are addressed. They, they spearhead the, the doing of good to those in the household of faith who stand in need. Okay, thirdly and lastly, what do, what do deacons do? Well, they, they promote and they protect the unity of the church. Notice verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole congregation. This is a congregation that was up in arms. And it's addressed. The apostles' resolution brought a settled peace. The decision to assign these men to this focused task significantly aided the unity of the body amongst the whole congregation. I mean, look at verse 7. Look at the result of this action. And the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. No accident that that fell right after the assignment of these men. The Spirit of God owned that decision. It's exactly what the church needed. These seven men played a critical role in salvaging the early church's unity in this giant newborn Jerusalem church. It's a huge church. And it would actually prove, the office of deacon would prove to be exactly what those small little pioneer church plants would once need once they got established and grow by the Lord multiplying them. And brethren, I tell you, Satan loves it. Oh, he loves to create factions and inject poison into the church body. One of God's answers to that, deacons. Well, there's so much more that could be said. There are people that oppose Acts 6, speaking of deacons. But I would, I would say that that's one of the reasons why we have so much confusion and varied practices concerning it. But listen, deacons aren't something that men made up. Sure, the, the apostles gave the charge here, but deacons are God's idea. That's why they're in the Bible. And again, deacons are only one of two offices in the church. I personally have a very difficult time concluding that God has plenty to say about the functional purpose of an elder and zero to say regarding the functional purpose of a deacon. And if you conclude that Acts 6 does not provide a blueprint for what later gets regarded as an assigned role of deacon, then, then essentially you're saying Scripture has nothing to say on the subject as far as an office is concerned. And I just don't buy into that. Our, our God is not an author of confusion. And he's not going to leave His church clueless and in the dark on how His offices that He establishes are to function. Okay, I'm done. So, Moving forward, thank you for your patience. Moving forward, we are gonna, uh, we'll be sending out a link tonight, right? Tonight, and uh, via email. And it will be in the format of the Google Forms. You'll be familiar with that format that we do the voting on. And it's a very short form. Not going to be long. Shouldn't take you too long of time to fill it out. You don't have to do it tonight. But um, in fact, we're going we're to leave a couple weeks for uh, gathering all the feedback. But it, it has a, a line for your name. Please put your name on there. And a space uh, to ask further questions about deacons that I may have not answered in this one-hour message. And a space to list one candidate that you recommend to the office of deacon. And then you have a line to explain why you're recommending that brother. And also I believe there's a space at the bottom just for any kind of uh, any other thoughts you want to share with us concerning this subject or that brother or any question you might have. 
And brethren, if you're, a, if you're a member of this church, that goes to those of you watching, if you're a member of this church, and this is for members only, and if you're on the docket to become a member, you know, please speak to me or, or James or Jeff, and we can, you know, maybe there's some, some ex- exceptions we can make. But if you're a member, we, we want to hear from you, brethren. And uh, even if it's filling out the last space and saying, I don't know, or... Or I haven't been here long enough to know these brothers to be able to see to, to be able to discern whether they qualify or not. That, that's fine. Please, please do that. Share that. Be honest. But brethren, please participate. E- even you young ones. Listen, your voice matters. Everybody's voice matters. Now, I'd love to see a hundred percent of the membership uh, participate in this here in here in San Antonio to, to, to submit one of these forms. And and yes. Each form is for one candidate. You are welcome to submit as many men as you think are qualified for the office. It's, it's not limited to one, but the form is for one. But you think if, you know, if you're convinced there's three men, boom, fill out three of them. But uh, anyway, that's, that's the goal going forward. We're going to give you a couple weeks to do that, and it's going to give us a couple weeks to sit down and process it, and then we'll, we'll address the church and... and, and in terms of what kind of candidates you guys are suggesting to us. Um, but, uh, brother, I do want to say, I mean, give honor to whom honor is due. And, uh, brother, I do believe you exemplify every aspect of what it is to be a deacon. In fact, you've been a deacon in our midst throughout the title. And uh, your life has been a massive encouragement to me, um, impacted people's lives here. I praise God for that. And uh, so, brethren, be praying. Maybe going over these qualifications again. And uh, yeah, we want to hear from you. Look forward to it. I'm excited. I think the deacons will be excited to add more to the to the fold. And uh, let's pray. Father, we are thankful. Again, Lord, I'm thankful that. We have men here that have been so faithful for over a decade, committed to serving this church uh, and doing so faithfully in your sight. And Lord, I pray these rewards, these promises that Paul mentions here in verse, verse 13, I pray they'd be uh, real and realized in their life. You would give these men good standing and you would give them great confidence in the faith. And you would further make, make them fruitful and their children would grow up as followers and lovers of Jesus Christ. You would bless their homes and bless their efforts and Lord, as they pour themselves out for the kingdom. We pray, Lord, and we trust that You raise up more men like them. And Father, we want, to be, we, want to, we want to utilize all that You'll give us to advance Your kingdom. We realize what we do is met with, met with resistance from the kingdom of darkness. And Lord, we pray, give us grace to continue on. Lord, as we heard in the first hour, Your grace is sufficient. Lord, prove it so in our midst. Continue to do so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, brethren. Thank you. Dismissed.